This podcast is sponsored by Great White Hot Sauce. It's a small batch, handmade hot sauce, made specially for you. So if you like hot sauce, you'll love Great White Hot Sauce. It's the hot sauce that bites back. Find it at www.trygreatwhite.com. Five words. Dark Side of the Moon. Possibly the greatest album of all time. It's got to at least be in the top five, right? No? Yes? What do you think? Well, on this episode, we're going to discuss that legendary album. Maybe you'll agree with us. Maybe you'll disagree. Listen in and find out. KOFB Studio presents Milk Crates and Turntables, a music discussion podcast hosted by Scott McLean with his co-host, Jack Calabrese. Now, let's talk music. Enjoy the show. All right. Thank you, Amanda, for that wonderful introduction. As usual, as you know, this is Milk Crates and Turntables, a music discussion podcast. Uh, we're streaming live right now over Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And listen, if you like this podcast, I usually say this at the end, but if you like this podcast and you have a friend that likes music, share this. Let them know about it. You know, see how see see how they like it. If you like it, I'm sure they'll like it. Anybody that likes music should like this show. Okay, I'm being a little pushy there, but that's okay. Well, if you like it, uh, give us a rating, give us a comment, uh, and like I said. Pass it on. Pass it on to a friend. We love doing this show. And without further ado, the comments are flying in fast already. Uh, without further ado, let me bring on my co-host, my buddy, my friend, my right-hand man. He, he's, he's, he's my Gilligan. <laughs> he's Jack Calabrese. Hey, Skipper. What's up, little buddy? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Well, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, here we are. We are discussing tonight Dark Side of the Moon. Now, again, we did this with Led Zeppelin, and there's probably not going to be any great revelations here, but it's always an interesting discussion. It's always, uh, you know, uh, Pink Floyd is Pink Floyd, right? So... Actually, totally overrated record. Totally overrated band. <laughs> I'm just shit. Yeah. So, so my, my my buddy Cole from uh, the 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 M, the the YouTube. I was gonna say MTV. Am I dating myself? The YouTube channel, the musical. My buddy Cole he said he got some beer ready for this one. So, hopefully, really? he doesn't drink too much because he's doing a live stream himself tonight at ten o'clock. He's uh, pretty good at doing us on that live stream. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know what? We're going to get into Dark Side of the Moon, but I want to touch on a couple things that we left that we had left over from last week. So, last week was that mixtape, kind of that trivia info thing, and, and and I thought this one was pretty interesting. We didn't get to it, but did you know Susanna Suzanne Vega? 
is the queen or the mother of the MP3? The queen of the mother of the no, MP3. No, she's just the mother. I said queen. She can be the queen of the MP3 or the mother of the MP3. Now, as I said before, Alanis Morris said uh, her, her manager was brilliant in the fact that when she went on tour uh, for one of her albums, they paid her in stock for this new technology called MP3, right? So brilliant move there, right? So Atlantis doesn't really have to do much anymore, right? So, so wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say Atlantis? Yeah, Atlantis Morissette is the one that got paid in stock for MP3. Okay. Suzanne Vega is the mother of the MP3, though. She goes, she had something to do with it before Alanis Morissette. So, like the development of it. So Napster popularized MP3s, but to test it, the creators used a vocal from Suzanne Vega's Suzanne Vega's 1982 hit "Tom's Diner," which is entirely acapella, right? In order to analyze the different sound spectrums when creating the compression algorithm. So, but that song. So she was the test case for mp3s and the algorithms it's a good song so that song tom's diner also so i I was there when this broke out out on the west coast um there's the other version of tom's diner it's got the beat right yeah so there were two guys back in the day two djs and they called themselves dna they heard tom's diner they put a beat to it and they were playing it in clubs and somehow someone got it to K-Rock, which is the WBCN of the West Coast at the time. They were West Coast Radio, right? So they take that song and play it, and it explodes. It blows up. Well, right? that version is 10 times better. Right. It is. So, But Suzanne Vega and her people didn't know that they did that. So there was a little thing going on. Now, they were in kind of like a, a, a kind of a, a gray area because the song blew up. Now, if she turns into a bitch and says, I want my song back, then. Wait, did you say bitch? Oh, what? Oh, 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 oh. oh wait, what? Oh, oh, oh. I wasn't talking about Belinda Carlisle. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, 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 oh. No. So. So if you go and you look at the video to Tom's Diner, all it is, they didn't have time to even make a video of her, like a real video. So they took clips from all her old videos, put it together, threw it on MTV, and there you have it. A great song was made. Wow. Yeah. Two, two so let, let me ask like, you, and, and this, is, this is somewhat kind of off topic, but back in the day when Napster was around. Right. Did you illegally download songs using an I, Napster? I, I, so I went into a, a record store. It's called Coconuts in, in Hollywood, Florida. Sure, and I remember Coconuts. I wanted to buy a um, The Clash, London Calling, CD. They wanted $24 for that fucking thing that had been 20 years old at the time. Okay? I said $24 for a fucking 20-year-old CD that the album's already made its money five times all over at least, right? So now they're trying to capitalize on people like me that are 
converting their vinyl collection into a CD collection. And they were trying to, so I said, you know what? Middle-aged, affluent, money to burn. Yeah. So $24 for a 20-year-old CD wasn't flying. So the next day, I had a couple guys I worked with that were techies that had all, they were telling me about this new thing called DSL, right? So I knew about Napster. I went home, I downloaded Napster. The first song I downloaded was Stone Temple Pilots. Um, uh, what's the name of the song? I forget which one it was. Interstate Love Song. It Probably. And it took an hour and a half to download, <laughs> right? Dick, 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 dick. So the next day I go and my buddy says DSL. So I, I end up getting DSL. 10,000 downloads later, <laughs> 10,000. I, t- I was getting everything I could think of. Madonna, Elvis, uh, soundtrack. I downloaded everything just to give them the big fuck you. See, I, 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 didn't, I didn't do that. No, I didn't have the moral dilemma. I could have really quite honestly given a shit. But the, the cool thing about Napster was I was able to download stuff that you couldn't get. There were, there were bootlegs yes. and alternate takes and all types of really cool, interesting stuff that I got for the very first time and haven't heard since. Yeah, there was they, a lot of had, interesting you know, stuff some on Napster. Amazing, amazing stuff. Now, the quality wasn't always great. Right. And to your point, sometimes it took a little bit of uh, time to download. And it was always rumored that there were um, – you know, viruses that were hidden in, in those types of things. But I never really experienced that. I did not have a problem with, with Napster. It was funny. I was listening to uh, the Howard Stern show earlier this week, and he had David Crosby on. And David Crosby was just raging about, like, the, the you know, Internet services or the streaming services like Spotify and um, – uh, Apple and you know iTunes and you know things like that and saying that it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like the way that he put it, he said that if I have a song that's on Spotify and somebody downloads it or a million people download it, it was like I might have enough money to go get breakfast. Yeah, well, he shouldn't have blown all his money on booze and drugs. <laughs> well, listen, that's David Crosby, though. Listen. That's David, who, hey, not- who, would, who would win in a drink off, smoke off, snort off? David Crosby or Keith Richards? You can't beat Keith Richards. Oh, he had a I blood transfusion. David Crosby, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you can't beat you can't beat Keith Richards. So, on that note, let's move a little bit forward. We're gonna get to Dark Side of the Moon. So, two weeks ago, two shows ago. I asked you who you would want to start a band. Who what guitar player you would want well, to start a band again. with? Here we go again. And 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 the, the choices were uh Jimmy Page or David Gilmore, right? And you took David Gilmore and I, I yeah. took Jimmy Page, right? Then last week I asked you about frontmen. Who would you rather start a band with? And you got all huffy and puffy and you tried to blow my <laughs> huffy, house down. Huffy and puffy. Right? So I didn't know this was a. You didn't say. And that's exactly what you said. I don't want want to wear a puffy shirt. Yeah. So I said, who would you rather have as a front man that you've been? Would it be Eddie Vedder or Scott Weiland? And you said Eddie Vedder. And I took Scott Weiland. That's when you blew a gasket when I said, well, so far I'll I did not blow a gasket. 
Oh, don't make me break out. Don't make me go to the tape. Go to the tapes. I'll go to the tape, buddy. Go to the tapes. Let's go to the tape. So this week, who would you want as your drummer? Would it be? Let's see. Who's who's too good? Stuart Copeland. Okay. Or, or Ginger Baker. Oh. <laughs> I know how you I know how you're torn on this one. Yeah. Well, Stuart you know, Copeland here's, here's or Ginger Stuart, Baker. Stuart Copeland, very interesting drummer. Ginger Baker, also an interesting drummer, but absolutely fucking insane out of his mind, drug addict. He sounds like he actually belongs. In your band, not mine. I'll take Stuart Copeland. I was hoping you were going to say that. So, because I'm taking Ginger Baker is the greatest drummer ever. Okay. <laughs> He's the greatest drummer ever. Now, they're both, and, and I picked those two because, as you know, they're both classically classical jazz drummers, right? They're trained in jazz, and jazz drummers are the best drummers. That's all there is to it. Right, mm-hmm. Keith Moon was like a hybrid jazz drummer, if you ask me, just by the way he played. Right, off beats, off tempos, sometimes. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fills. Yes, yes. Um, but he was just a lunatic. That's just the way he played. So it's the the I love the way that Keith Moon plays the drums. But the thing that Keith Moon missed, in my opinion, and and again, I'm a big, huge. I think I'm a bigger Who fan than you are. Maybe, yeah. Not maybe, definitely. <laughs> Don't give me any shit. Oh. Dude, I'll, I'll go down and I'll, I'll actually get one of my you know fall jackets. There's still a hoop pin on it. Jack, Jack, you're getting huffy and puffy again. <laughs> but here's the thing about, about you know, uh, Keith Moon. He would look for any opportunity to fill that space yeah. with his drums. What he misses occasionally is the nuance that some drummers have is that you not only occupy and fill a space, but you should cherish the negative space. That little bit of tension. How do you like that? Huh? Get the huh? fuck. Where the fuck did you come up with that? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? What the? It's like when you and I talk, right? You know, we talk over each other, but if you just live a little bit of space... If it was up to me, I wouldn't leave you any space. <laughs> You'd get no fucking space. Um, so our friend Steve Stevens, he is the king of the covers, by the way, and we will have him on the show one of these days because we'll do another covers show. He's a hard man to pin down. He's a great man. He's a great friend. Uh, he's solid as a rock. He said Ginger studied jazz, classical, and blues in Berkeley. Uh, he found his passion in blues rock. See, Steve Stevens is a hidden, he, he's a hidden gem of knowledge that he's very modest, though. Yeah. <laughs> he's very modest. <laughs> well, see, see, Steve Stevens, the magical thing about Steve Stevens is he's got this great knowledge of music, but he uses the negative space. Oh, all right. Let's get on. Speaking of, neg- speaking of space, let's get on the dark side of the moon. So the original title for Dark Side of the Moon, the original uh, title was they wanted it to be Dark Side of the Moon. Then they, they had changed it to Eclipse, a piece of assorted lunatics, right? 
because the band was upset that this progressive folk rock act called Medicine Head. Yeah, they were gonna, they were going to put it out first. Well, they released an album with the uh, that called "Don't Stop the Dance," right? Which goes on to be a Brian Ferry hit in 1985, right? I love that song. So they, they released an album called Don't Stop Them, but their hit track off it was called Dark Side of the Moon. They released it John, on John Peel's label, right? Total flop. Well, yeah, since the release was less than successful, the band said, fuck it, let's just go with Dark Side Total of the Moon. Total flop. You know what? We're taking that name, sue us. <laughs> exactly. So, so you have this band called Medicine Head that loses out twice on one album, the the name of the album goes on to be a hit for Brian Ferry, and then the hit song goes on to be the name of one of the greatest bands in the history of rock. So. Serves them right for that 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 name of their band. Stupid fucking name, Medicine Medicine Head. Medicine Hall. That's, that's almost as stupid as Radiohead. I mean, what oh the fuck? yeah, come on. I mean, what? what Dude, don't put down the- Radiohead. You know, by, by the way, you know, if we're talking about Dark Side of the Moon, yeah, we should take it a couple of decades forward the next show and do OK Computer. Oh, Radiohead is definitely going to be on on our list. That is the Pink Floyd of the '90s and 2000s. And and I've said it for years, and I've said it to you. We might have debated it a couple times. Uh, uh, Man for man, the the most talented musicians on the planet, Radiohead. But that's for, for another time. So, what? Dark Side of the Moon was on the what? The top 200. Billboard top 200 for how long? Years. Literally 20, years. 26 years? Yeah. <laughs> right? In, it was, it was on there for, for years and years. Yet, yet, when it was released, didn't hit number one in Europe or didn't hit number one in England, their, their home turf. Yeah. And in the, even in the United States, it was almost like they were – remember when you were a kid and you dove into a pool and you swam down to touch the – the drain, and then you yeah. came right back up. That's what Dark Side of the Moon was in the United States. It was number one for like a week. A week. That was it. And I guess David Gilmore uh, had made a bet with his manager that it wouldn't even break the top ten. They, they really, you know, what it, it is the absolute ultimate consummate concept album. Is it, it the greatest album ever? No, it's not the greatest album ever. And part of the reason why it's not the greatest album ever is because there's, you know, some instrumental tracks that I think would, would take away from that, that kind of status. It is by far, in my opinion, the most creative, best concept album that was ever created. Now, you can make an argument for The Wall. You might right. even be able to make an argument for... Uh, Days of Future Past by the Moody Blues, which is a great, great record, but nowhere near the stature, the longevity, the impact of Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon is is a classic. I mean, it's sold, what, 45 million copies to date? Uh, yeah, 15 million, I think, alone in, in the United States. I, I think... I think I probably have taken up a chunk of that that number because I know that I've had it on a track at least three or four times on vinyl, CD, cassette, 
downloaded it off of Napster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I think I have um, right now in my in my collection. I think I have two copies. You know, it's it's like when you get people's, which I do. Which, by the way, people, if you're looking to uh, donate your record collection that's sitting in your closet or your basement or your attic, Jack, be quiet. Uh, Twenty feel Florence free, feel free Street. To contact me at milkcratesandturntables at gmail dot com. I'll pay for the shipping. <laughs> so, yeah, I look at the. Uh, I think I have. So you get these collections. There's always like the same album, like that everybody had. You know, there's there's Led Zeppelin. Uh, you know, two right in there. Frampton comes alive. Frampton Saturday comes alive. Night yeah, yeah. There's always those. And then Dark Side of the Moon is one of those. And uh, and it's always beat up, which means that's a beautiful thing because it means it was played. Yeah. So I'll tell you, one, well, I think one of the cool things that I discovered kind of researching this record, and I did not know this, is they had come up with the concept of Dark Side of the Moon, and they actually played it live for almost a full year before they actually recorded it. Yeah, and then somebody bootlegged the album. They, they, they bootlegged. They took all the copies, all the, the they were there filming and uh, on a recording, and they put it together and actually released it as an album. There was like a hundred thousand copies or something like that that went out, and people thought that was the album. But can, can you can you imagine that somebody there, there was definitely some idiot in the audience in 1972 that went to see Pink Floyd, and Pink Floyd said. Uh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to spend the next uh, hour or so playing some new stuff for you. And they played Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety, in order. And there was somebody in the audience going, for the love of Christ, when are they going to play Bicycle? <laughs> when are they going to play some stuff off of metal? What is the shit that they're playing? <laughs> that, that, that happens at concerts. That happens at concerts, you know. Uh, Morrissey is infamous for that. People go to a Morrissey show and they think they're getting an oldies show, like all the Smith songs. He'll sing oh, like. Can, can I ask a question? <laughs> yeah. So you're sitting down in a restaurant. Yeah. I know. I know you're not a drinker or whatnot, but you know you're by yourself. So the only place that there is to sit down is at the bar. Yeah. So you're at the bar, and you're looking through the menu, and one of the features of the night, the specials of the night, is a veal chop. Mm. So you order a veal chop, you say, you know what, I want it bloody red, rare as can be, and just as they bring it to you, Morrissey, who is a ravenous, pita-loving <laughs> vegetarian, your hero, he's your vegan. idol, he's, ve he's vegan, he's he sits next to you, what do you say to him? What's up, Moz? <laughs> <laughs> want a bite? <laughs> to say, what's up, Moz? <laughs> And then I watch him walk away. Or, if, you ever, if you ever had the opportunity to meet him, what would you say to him? As aside from, hey, have you ever heard of milk crates and term tables? What would I say to Morrissey if I met him? Uh, I, don't, I don't. I'd probably just. I, I. I don't think I would have a question for him. I would just say it's. It's an honor to meet you. You know, it's just a pleasure to meet you, and just be cool with them. Don't be that fucking idiot. You know, but. You know, you don't know until you're in the moment, but I don't think I would have a question for him. Because I think I respect him too much to ask a question that he's probably been asked a fucking 10,000 times. 
Hey, when's the Smiths going to get back together? Exactly. So anyways, back to, did you know there's a Beatles contribution on Dark Side of the Moon? Well, they, they, there was almost the Beatles contribution. No, there is. It's there. See, the, 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 at least so, what, what, I, what, I, what I think you're talking about is, so for those people that remember or know Dark Side of the Moon, there are interludes of people speaking either during the tracks or in between tracks. And most of those people were, um, you know, people that were like the engineers or people that were working in the studio. But it just so happened, remember, that they recorded this at Abbey Road Studio, and they actually had access to Paul and Linda McCartney. And they had asked them a series of questions in hopes of kind of having a little Easter egg that they could put on the, you know, put on the record. But as Paul McCartney had a tendency to do, he tried to be funny and cute and he kind of ruined it. Now, my understanding is that they didn't use it. Is that what you're referencing? And are you telling me that you have different information? Oh, I have different. I have something totally different, but that is true. They didn't want, they wanted natural reactions and, and they weren't surprised that, 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 that he did that. Yeah. Right? He's the only one that kind of acted out when yeah. they, yeah. they asked him. But um, the segment... Uh, where it's at the end. It's at the end. Eclipse, I think, is the last track. Where uh, Jerry O'Driscoll was the doorman at Abbey Road. He was like the door. So they're asking him a question. He's the one that says, there is no dark side of the moon, really. Matter of fact, it's all dark. The only thing that makes it look light is the sun, right? While he's saying that, in the background, if you put on headphones or you crank it up, there's a Muzak version of Ticket to Ride playing in the background. Really? Yes. That's a good piece of trivia. I just dropped a bomb. <laughs> Show's yeah, over. Man. I'm out. <laughs> I pulled... I, I did deep, deep dive for hey, this respect, show. Hey, respect, man. That's, that is great, incredibly useless information. Absolutely much like, useless. Much like most of the information on this show. <laughs> it's just useless. But yes, now all you lunatics out there that are going to go just at the very end, crank it up, put your headphones on, and you'll hear a little very slight Muzak version of Ticket to Ride in the background. So... I'm just can you imagine drop the mic and let you finish the show? Can you can you imagine if you and I had channeled all of this useless knowledge into something productive? Oh boy. We would actually be contributing members of society. <laughs> but here we are. None of that. Lunatics in the hall. You <laughs> lunatics are in the grass, too. So what do you got? Throw throw something at me. Um I'm not sure that I have. A it was. Lot did you know? It, it was you. actually. It was premiered at the London Planetarium, and they hated that. I know Roger Waters hated that, right? Because he wanted to get rid of that. Uh, he wrote all the lyrics for Dark Side of the Moon. He wanted to get rid of that space, like that new agey reputation. So he actually in a sense, dumbed down the lyrics so people could understand them and they were pretty simplistic lyrics, right? And so they debut this thing at the London Planetarium, which 
it was not his idea. They were, he was like, fuck, right? But if you think about it, in the 70s and the 80s, how many planetariums were doing the, you know, come to the New England planetarium at the Science Museum and watch Dark Side of the Moon as you watch the light show, the laser light show in our planetarium, right? So they, 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 they set this thing up and none of them show up. Like, I think, what's his name? Um, uh, what's his name? One, only one guy from the band, uh, Richard Wright, bothered to show up because it was recorded in, in like Quadrophenia or something. It was recorded in like some new technology, but they were playing it over this shitty stereo sound system, like to this planetarium thing. So they were like, nah, fuck that. We're not going. I, you know what? I, I think one of the cool things about Dark Side of the Moon is, is you know, you talk about the, the space thing and the planetarium and whatnot, but what's the record about? What's the theme behind it? So the Dark Side of the Moon doesn't have really anything to do with the, uh, you know, the, the actual moon or rotation or orbits or anything like that. It's, it's actually a reference to lunacy. Yeah. So, you know, it's talking about, um, you know, somebody that's actually losing their mind, that they spend most of their time on the dark side of their own moon. Well, hence the eclipse, a piece of assorted lunatics. Yeah, yeah. But, that you know, the record, whether people realize it or not, is not a concept album about, you know, time and space and all that stuff. It's really a record that deals with what they were going through as a band at the time. So, you know, again, you know, if you think about, and we've made reference to this a number of times on this, this show, you know, that back in the 60s and the 70s, bands were working bands. They were expected to put out an album or sometimes two albums a year. And in between that, you know, do all types of touring. So it was a rough, rough lifestyle, you know. So, you know, you talk about, you know, the drugs and the groupies and the booze and, and all that stuff, you know, and people have a tendency to romanticize about that. But a lot of it was, yeah, you know, part of it was, look, we're young, we're guys, and we're in rock and roll to have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But some of it was a coping mechanism because if it's a hard, hard life when you think about, especially back then, you know, the planes didn't have the comfort that they do now. The motor coaches didn't have the comfort that they have right now. It was a tough life. So this record was really a testament to that lifestyle. In the arduous, hard, crazy aspect of, of being in a band at that time. Yeah, no doubt. How was that, huh? Pretty good, huh? Yeah, let's fill some negative space, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, oh, uh, my buddy Dave Phillips, our buddy Dave Phillips, the king of the 45s, right? He, he, he watches the show weekly. He's a, he's a, he's a, a solid fan of the show, and he's, he's a music guy. And he just messaged in, yes, was a better band. Now, Dave, 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 man. Dave's not here right now. <laughs> That's, I can't. Go on. Say what you got to say, Jack. I, I was just going to say, yes, is a fine band. Right. They're not Pink Floyd. No. No. I, I love, you know, some of the, I love some of the, the yes records, you know, uh, fragile, 
you know, close to the edge, the yes album and all that, that stuff are, are great, but they don't have the songwriting. They don't have the technical chops. I mean, you know, some great players in that band. Steve Howe is a ridiculous guitar player. Uh, Chris Squire, unbelievable bass player. Rick uh, Alan White was an amazing, amazing drummer. Now, you know, never mind, you know, Rick the contributions Wakeman. of um, uh, Rick Wakeman. Un unbelievable band. Yeah. But, but, but not, not remotely close to the writing capabilities of both Roger Waters and David Gilmour. So, no. sorry. You cannot compare a prog rock band. To let to I mean Pink Floyd. But or in Led tribute Zeppelin, to him. I was gonna say. Oh, that's for the podcast listeners. That's Jack playing his steel guitar. Whatever it is. <laughs> Fucking honky tonk man over here. So yeah, so then there's the interesting, very interesting thing that was discovered in the 90s by who the fuck knows the thing called it's referred to as dark side of the rainbow or dark side of oz or the wizard of floyd so for all of you that don't know about this it's it's everywhere on youtube just go to youtube and type in dark side of the rainbow dark side of oz or the wizard of floyd it's the the mashup of Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 movie Wizard of Oz. So if you, as it goes, if you hit play on your CD player or you drop the needle at the end of the third roar of the lion, it starts to sync up. So, and it, okay, so... There's this thing where people want to see what they want to see, right? People's brains kind of work funny, and they think, oh, this works. Like, I do these mashup videos of Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire dancing, and I always put a Smith song in there with them, right? And somehow they work. They really fucking work, right? Um, this is not one of those. This, is, this works. Like, this, this thing's in this. It, it, it's it's astonishing how this kind of turns into like one long art film music video. The only thing is the movie is an hour longer than this than the album. But yeah, the the, the album is only forty three minutes long. Yeah, yeah. So certain things happen in this. So like. And there's lyrics that match up too. So in the scene of the Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy is talking to you know the farmhands who end up being the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion, at one point she gets up on the fence and she starts walking. And right when she does that, from the song "Breathe," uh, who's singing? Rod, Rod, did Gilmore was singing, right? David Gilmore. Yeah. As soon as he says, "Balanced on the biggest wave." racing toward an early grave, she falls off into the pig pen and the pigs start kind of going after her, right? So you have that, and that's like the first real mashup, how it works. Then you move over to, um, what else was it? 
on time. As soon as the bell, the first bell hits, the dun 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 the lady on the bike shows up. <laughs> like right on right on cue. Right? So, and then she takes the dog like a bitch. And there you go again. In the music, in the music though, is gets ominous. As, as whenever she's in the scene, it just kind of matches up with ominous and like you know there's something wrong there then you get like it moves in the the great gig in the sky was was really a music video right so as soon as she's as, as soon as the, the the tornadoes come in and this is all stuff you can watch you can watch i'm just kind of giving you a brief synopsis uh as soon as the the, the tornadoes come in the twister and she's getting hit by you know, wind and she goes in the house and all of a sudden the window cracks her in the head. It starts to go down. That's when uh, Claire, what's her last name? The one that sang uh, Big Gig in the Sky. Oh, uh, is it Claire Tory? Yeah, Claire Tory. Yeah. And she goes into this dream sequence, right? So. It's really like insane. It's really insane how it works. And it's like fans created websites about this stuff. And it's, it's now my question is this, right? <laughs> what the fuck was this guy smoking and drinking that made him say, yo, you know, man, I'm just going to play the Wizard of Oz, the dark side of the moon, man, and just see what happens. Like, wh- how the fuck do you put those two things together? It, you know what? It it doesn't matter. Whoever did it, it was pure genius because it, it caught fire. Now, you're talking pre-internet. So this thing back before the internet went viral in that they were talking about it on television. They were certainly talking about it on radio. And even there, there, there were people that interviewed the band that asked if there was any correlation and even Nick Nick Mason said that that it was absolute nonsense. That Dark Side of the Moon was absolutely not based upon the Wizard of Oz. It was based upon the Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but first- you know, look the the reality of it is is whoever came up with the idea, stoned or not, is here we are in 2021 and we're still talking about it. It's really you got to go watch it if you've never heard of that. But is it, isn't there this? And you you've researched this more than I. But isn't there one element of it where there's a? Is it like the beginning of um, you know time where it goes? The movie goes from black and white to color. So that's where the end of. So first, leading up to that, you got um, like Dorothy starting to run uh, after the line in time that reads, "No one told you where to run," right? Then there's, uh, you have when David Gilmore sings the line home, home again as part of breathe and the fortune teller, uh, what was his name? Professor Marvel or something, uh, is advising Dorothy to return to Kansas, like go home. Right. Then you got brain damage starts on the record with Dorothy meets the scarecrow and begins singing. If I only had a brain, right. Um, then uh, uh, as they're dancing down the yellow brick road, Roger Waters sings, uh, go to keep the loonies on the path, right? But the, the, what happens is that the, at the end 
of side one, right, is right when Dorothy lands in Oz. She gets up, she walks to the front door, and she opens the door to when it turns to color. So now this is like the second side of the movie, second half of the movie. As soon as she takes one step, money starts. And it turns color and it just, it's like they go from side one and that was basically chapter one of the movie and side two begins exactly when the color kicks in for the second chapter of the movie. It's it's insane. It, it really it must is have been insane. Freaky for the people that you know kind of discovered it for the first time or really started to think about like, dude, that's fucked up. This right. is the best mescaline ever. The the final crescendo, as they say, comes as uh, as the final heartbeats of Dark Side of the Moon ring out. Dorothy puts her ear to the Tin Man's chest. Have you right? ever taken the time to test this theory out? What's that? Have you ever taken the time to test? I have. I, I absolutely have. I was I was fucking amazed by it. Now, there's a lot of gaps where it doesn't really fill, right? Um, there's, there's, there's a couple of moments. There's enough there to make it interesting and enough to make it worthy to discuss. Oh, absolutely there's enough there. There's, I mean, again, it's the timing. It's the timing of how the songs hit and how they change scenes, right? So it's, it's, it's just crazy how someone fucking came up with that. I, I, that, it's like one of those, and, and if the person ever came forward, people would go, no, that wasn't you. <laughs> no, really, it was me. I was, I took a couple of hits of Microdot and <laughs> I had some fucking natty lights and smoked a bone and I saw my VHS tape of <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon, I mean, of, of The Wizard of Oz and just, yeah, the rest is, the rest is history. Wouldn't it be kind of interesting to know who it was? That's like, I, I mean, I wonder if anybody has actually stepped forward to claim, like, look, I was the guy or the girl. That's what I just said. It, and people are going to say, no, that wasn't you. <laughs> you didn't yeah. do that. <laughs> Prove it. Yeah. Prove it. I mean, so the first can, can you imagine if it was hilariously funny if it was somebody like Gerald Ford? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was. He was. <laughs> He was on the dark side of the moon, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first time it was talked about was in 1997 by a DJ in Boston, George Taylor Morris. He talked Rob, about it on the radio in 1997. So I wonder if there's an indication that this kind of stemmed from somebody over at MIT. <sighs> that, that, that could be possible, too. <laughs> but again, I don't know. Uh, that's just that just fascinates me. So so let me let me ask you a question outside of this, but you know, relating to Dark Side of the Moon. Which album do you think is better and more thematic, Dark Side of the Moon or Animals or The Wall? Oh, uh, The Wall. The Wall is definitely was made was created for what it was. I mean, the 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 whole movie. That went with it. There was a running theme through that. That's why they could make a movie out. You couldn't make a movie out of Dark Side of the Moon. No. You know? No. So but that you, was do, you, do you actually like the wall better than Dark Side of the Moon? 
Hmm. Hmm. That's. Um. No. Hey, I like Doc's way, nice, nice use of negative space. Wow, you are just continuing with this fucking theme, aren't you? You are not letting up on this. I'm going to change the name of the show to Negative Space. That's what I'm going to do when we get off. Uh, no, I like Doc's Side of the Moon. And there's actually something we haven't talked about yet. Which is? Let, let's talk about Alan Parsons. Ooh, Alan Parsons, the eye in the sky. Very... Um, very controversial in this. The band kind of disowned him. So they, you know, the, the fans really got on him too about the fact they think that's where he, he he hung his hat on that on that album. Now he was he was an engineer. He was an engineer on that album. And he got he he says he he's he's said in interviews that he, he still wakes up at night sometimes with just this this frustration that he never got a dime from that album. He never got which, a dime which from Which is it. a crime. Well, back then, engineers were just, you know, yeah, they were, they were paid scale. It was an hourly rate. Yeah, do your job, do what you're told, shut up. And engineers weren't really respected. The producer was everything. The artists were everything. And the engineer, until soon after, though, it became a thing where engineers, they really started appreciating them. But... He uh, had a falling out with the band for some reason. They don't really say what happens, but oh, more than likely it was because he was, you know, asking for money, and he was probably bad mouthing them, saying that he deserved more credit or more respect or more compensation. But you know, well, you you, all, you almost have to understand it in, in in a certain way. In that, you know, look, if I was the guy that you know designed the Empire State Building. And I got nothing from it. And all I could do is, you know, when I was walking around New York, say, hey, see up there? I designed that building. And people just say, yeah, yeah, get the fuck away from me. Here's a quarter. Yeah. Go away. You're just a designer. You're not the engineer. Yeah. Who you're do you think you are? Alan Parsons? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but he did, he, he, he did win a, a Grammy for Best Engineering. Yeah, he did. He won a Grammy. So that kind of gave him his push. But... The millions of dollars that, that that a lot of people didn't make that helped make that album. You yeah, know? you know, look, a, 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 it was just a different business back then, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, look, there were plenty of bands out there that were actually turning out hit singles or even hit albums that were getting paid scale and not making any money. You know, the, the music business back in that day, and it even still to a certain extent, was ruthless in that – the people that made the money back in the day were the absolute huge stars and the record companies and everybody in between got fucked. Yes. Yeah. And that, again, that was, that was the business. And a lot of bands got fucked too. Well, I, mean, I you know, I always remember that story that uh, Tom Petty talked about, you know, his first manager, you know, really gave him a contract that screwed him. And, you know, years later, when he was trying to get out of it and he had a you know meeting with the guy and the guy was just like, Hey, you know, we're friends and whatnot. Dude, it's just business. Not, you know, no hard feelings. And Tom Petty was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You're taking money out of my pocket. How do you call us friends? Yeah. But that was just the way the business went back then. That's so it even goes back to, strike. you know, if you think about, you know, our previous shows, you know, even the whole Led Zeppelin thing and the plagiarizing thing, people were taking music from each other all the time. 
It was more of a communal thing. But when the business part of it started entering the scene, that's when things started getting ugly. Maybe rightly so. You know, you create a piece of original content and you have other people that are leveraging it and making money off of it that you should be compensated or recognized in some way, shape or form. You know, that's only fair. But back in the day, it was, you know, they were all learning it, feeling it out. It was the Wild West to a certain extent. Not everybody could be Mick Jagger. No, not everybody was, could be Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger was the brains behind that whole, he knew the business. He's a smart guy. He knew. Economic didn't, he go student. To, uh, didn't he go to college like the Royal Academy? He was, a, he was an economic student. An economic student. So he knew. He knew. So Alan Parsons actually had another contribution to that album. Which is? Actually a pretty big one. He was the one that recommended Claire Torrey for uh, Big Gig in the Sky, Great Gig in the well, Sky. Well, you know what? It's great that you actually bring her up because she was paid scale. So, you know, if you think about that song, you know, the great gig in the sky, you know, the majority of that song is her singing, you know, and she was riffing. You know, they they basically said, you know, here's the track, just kind of go with it. So she kind of went with it and she was paid, I think she was paid like 400 bucks or something crazy like that. It was that. done on a Sunday, so she got scale and a half. Good money. She recorded, yeah, for her, she was like, she was happy with it. But she got but, she got paid she got paid a, a little bit of money that paid for her time and nothing more, and it was years later with the popularity the of the album and she actually felt that not only did she contribute from a vocal standpoint but because she had come up with original content that really lifted the song to a whole other level that she deserved a writing credit, and she sued. Yeah, and she. I'm won. not saying that she won. They she settled did. out of court. But, she but if won. you look at the liner notes for the newer versions of, of uh, The Dark Side of the Moon, she her did. name was on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, she got banked. That was money in the bank for her. She used her voice as an instrument. That's how she did it. She said, I'm well, just going to use my voice as an instrument. Yeah, Just like you and I use our voices as instruments on this little show. That's right. <laughs> and don't forget, love. Love will keep us together. Holy fucking shit. By the way, <laughs> so love will keep us together is who? Captain and Tennille. Tony Tennille sang backing vocals on what record? Uh, wasn't this a, from last week's show? Shouldn't we have done this last week? <laughs> she, she sang backing vocals on the wall. Oh, okay. I did not know that. So That's an still un not as good as unintended my reference. You you did that organically. Bravo. Yes, yes. Bravo, so, Scarecrow. <laughs> so one of our viewers from YouTube, uh, Perry Didovich, who just by this statement, that just by this message, I can tell this this they know what they're talking about. Joff Emmerich had a lot to do with the Beatles' overall sound, but he was an EMI employee. Oh, I See, love that's that. An obscure, I love that Perry that's, is, that's is obscure, sharing his. Uh, 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 little piece of information, but good on you, man. Good on you. I, I love that Perry is, is sharing his opening line to pick up women. Oh, don't dog the list of the viewers. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He, I can't. See, he, I just, can't. he just logged off. Perry just <laughs> logged off. <laughs> Zero oh, stars. This is a good cop, bad cop. This is just do the show. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Look at the dudes watching for the first time. And Jack insults him. I didn't insult him. 
I was having fun. I was welcoming him into it. Yeah. That's what this show what? was all about. What if he didn't want a shout them? out? You got to ease them in. You got to <laughs> ease them in. We'll see if he comes back. <laughs> He's one and done. He's a one and done on YouTube. You Maybe know, but not. going going back to Pink Floyd, is there a is there a band that is better in terms of putting together concept albums? Animals, Dark Side of the Moon, The Wall. I the mean, Who. I, the Who. The Who is is absolutely right up there with Tommy and Quadrophenia. Um, unbelievable. See Perry's back. Perry's see that you guys cracked me up. He loves it. He loves it. I think he's being nice to you because I just got you all huffy and puffy again. That's three <laughs> times you've been huffy and puffy in this show. I can't help it. I'm very emotional. He's very, it's, it's, it's a sensitive man. I need I need to take some CBD and sit down and watch The Wizard of Oz <laughs> and put on some Radiohead. <laughs> Let's try that match. See, see, see if that'll works. work. See if it works with the Go-Go's first album. <laughs> Put on a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon for that. <laughs> that mess. <laughs> so uh, oh. finishing up with um, with this Dark Side of Oz thing. Um, I had I had something here. Let me let me. I, I don't like referring to my notes during the show like this, but uh, so. Alan Parsons, saying on Alan Parsons, he 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 denied any connection, saying the band had no means of playing videotapes in the studio at the time of recording. Plus, that was recorded in seven weeks. That fucking album was recorded. It was what well, was written. It was written in seven weeks. Yeah, but but you know, but again, you know, written and, and recorded. Remember that that this was a working band, and and but to write know, that shit in seven weeks. Yeah, that's it. Take fucking bands today a year. So, sometimes a lot longer. Unbel- I mean, seven weeks he wrote that. I mean, it's just the brilliance. So he said um, they had no time to do that. Plus, they, 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 they couldn't sit in front of a fucking movie and create a score because that's what they would have been doing. They were touring. They were, as we saw, you know, they, they were writing this shit, trying to get it together for a new tour and and practice it. So they didn't have time. But he said... Uh, this was his quote. It's such a non-starter, a complete load of eyewash. Typical Brit. Uh, I, I tried it for the first time about two years ago. One of my fiance's kids had a copy of the video, and I thought I had to see what it's all about. It was very disappointing. Uh, and anyway, if you play any record with the sound turned down to the TV, you'll find things that work. Yeah. Right. And, and also, by the way, when he was doing that, you know, with his little nephew or son or whoever it was that brought the video, he said, hey, by the way, you know, I was the engineer on this record, and the kid was just like, shh, shh dad, shut up. We, I'm trying to yeah, watch yeah. the movie. Future stepdad, just can chill, will you? Yeah, okay, old man. Okay, boomer. <laughs> so, but they, the detractors argue that the phenomenon is a result of the mind's tendency to find patterns by discarding data that do not fit or but here's negative, the thing. Or here's negative the thing. energy. At the end of the day, who gives a shit? It's fun. It's fun. But it's but when something becomes a phenomenon, people gotta fucking rip it down. They gotta rip it down, tear it up. And uh and that's what they but that is amazing. Again, watch it on YouTube, Dark Side of Oz. Uh it's 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 it really is interesting. So 
coming up on an hour, buddy. What else well, we got? I think we did. Well, we miss here's anything? the thing. You know what? Listen, for, for those of you that are watching right now or listening, if you haven't done it in a while, you know, if you want to put on the Wizard of Oz, that's fine. But do yourself a favor and go outside, light a cigar, pour a drink, sit in your favorite chair, put on headphones or whatever, and put on Dark Side of the Moon and listen to it uninterrupted from start to finish. It is a brilliant, brilliant piece of work. Never and it gets sick of it. Every bit of accolade or credit that, that it's given, it sold 45 million copies for a reason. And far too often, people cherry pick aspects of that record, whether it's money or whether it's time or whether it's us and them. But listening to it in its entirety is something that just isn't really done these days. You know, kids, millennials, Generation Zs, you know, whatnot, and I'm not picking on it, but the reality of it is, is people don't listen to records the way that they used to. And this is an album that was intended to listen to from start to finish. And it is unbelievable. It's a wonderful, fantastic, amazing achievement and a great experience. So there's kind of another Beatles connection here. And you could say Dark Side of the Moon is like Abbey Road, where in each side is a continuous track, right? Well, that's not true. Abbey Road? It's not I true. Think it is. No, it's not. They all run into each other. On the second side, they do. Not on the first side? I don't think so. I think you're wrong. But anyways, I always found it interesting <laughs> that you're wrong a lot. I you're always wrong. Found... Well, you're stupid. Huffy, hey, you know who's stupid, Scott? Huffy. Huffy and you, Puffy. You. Stupid. Huffy, Huffy. Huffy and Puffy. Jack. Down boy. So I always found it weird that when they chop up like singles, like off of Abbey Road, you know, and, and you don't, you know what the song was before that ran into it, and you know where it's going to run into, but they kind of stop it just to play it as a single, you know, and that could be the above uh, average music listener hearing that. Um, well, some of that stuff drives me nuts. Like, so let's go off off of the band, you know. If you ever heard, um, you know, the live version from Live Bullet of Bob Seger where they play Traveling Man uh, and they don't the go into Beautiful Loser. One of the greatest live recordings, that segment right there. Traveling yep, and Man fantastic. and Beautiful Loser. You know, you can't, you can't play one without the other. No, that might be. That's definitely got to be in the top five greatest, greatest live songs recorded like, because they do roll together. That segment of that is is absolutely untouchable when it comes to brilliant. How they did that, how it played out, how they engineered it, how they produced it, it's fucking perfect. You know why that album was great? Because we were Going there. back to what we keep saying, Bob Seger, you know, 365 days a year, probably that tour, he was on the road 180. And he you didn't own brush your craft. his teeth once. That dude had a fucking grill. <laughs> he had a fuck, his grill was fucked up. It was Bob no dark Seger. side of the moon in those choppers. Bob Seger should he should never have been smiling on album covers. That dude, I think he was to say it again. I think he was pop British because his teeth were they were mangled. He had and you see him today like the yellow, like he's the cigarette smoking guy. 
you know, just, <laughs> and he gets, all of a sudden they're pearly white, like you get them all replaced. Like, like Keith Richards did. <laughs> yeah, Here's another one with the Keith, messed up Keith's grill. Keith's teeth were, they were rough for a little while. They were rough. But, but heroin in the, you know, national dentistry of Britain will do that to you. <laughs> okay, buddy. So, uh, I'm kind of waiting for Scott, the IT guy, to give me my outro. I missed it a couple. He wasn't there last week. You know, he's... He's letting me down this week. He wants some of that hot sauce money. He's a he's a slacker. You know what? He want he wants you to put in an IT ticket. He's not just gonna give it to you. Then he ain't get all right. Here we go. That's uh man. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Here's Scott the IT guy's outro. Thank you. So thanks everyone for watching. We'll see you all next week. Make sure to like and subscribe and have yourself. A nice night. He already had it primed. You might be in for the hot sauce. And again, if you like this, share it with a friend that likes music. I haven't gotten any hot sauce. Good night, everybody. I haven't gotten any hot sauce money. I haven't gotten any hot good, sauce. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye.